0: Everybody, this is Phil Town,
1: and this is Danielle Town.
0: Welcome to the Invested Podcast. We are on episode 398. It is <laughs> December
1: 6th. <Very laughs> exciting!
0: We're going to talk about or
1: whatever day you're listening to this buckets. in the future. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh! And um,
0: Danielle, you're feeling good. That's great. Great to see that. Fantastic. <laughs>
1: I love how you are saying that. It's great. It's not always true, but it's great.
0: No, it's, you're, you're recovering. it's a, it's amazing. Um, how, how fast you're recovering now. It's really cool. must seem slow to you, but it's fast to me. You're
1: doing great. That's good. Yeah, so we um, clearly right now, I'm not feeling like I'm recovering a lot because like my brain is super slow. So we ended last time talking about Dalio and these four I don't know if the four buckets related to Dalio or not but we ended talking about this mysterious four yeah. buckets and um, I'm excited to hear what those are
0: yeah it's it's an interesting concept that Ray Dalio kind of pioneered and um, and talked about in his own, work you know he's, he's become more and more sort of globally transparent as he's gotten toward retirement or you know what passes for retirement among fund managers which means they're still <laughs> they keep their hand in
1: all the way to the end because it's life right like that's what it I is. love about discovering investing is that it's not a project or a job it's just living life and discovering that there's things to support I don't know if he sees it that way but that's how that's been my experience
0: I mean it's a, it's really an interesting career it, you know it's like people don't really retire from farming you know it's like, that kind of thing. It's <laughs> like you're a farmer that's what you do yeah right? you raise yeah. your children in it it's sort of that kind of thing and and um, managing your money is like that it's something you don't really retire from it's sort of just what you do
1: and do you think it's really managing the money, or is it more like learning, researching, learning, finding conclusions out of what you've researched and learned about?
0: Two sides of the same coin, eh? It's, yeah. One one side is the you know the knowledge step, and the other side's the doing step. Right. True. True. And, True. and uh, yeah, you gotta you have both of those. And it's funny, I was just writing a, a, kind of updating a blog that I was doing. And um, like the, you know how they write these things, the eight great secrets for blah, blah, blah. You right,
1: know? the clickbait. <laughs> so, yeah.
0: <laughs> and it's, and I I was thinking of what are these really critical things then about investing? And, you know, one one of them is just you you must learn to read. You must learn to you read. You must learn and to read. I would encourage you to learn to read Fast, or maybe that's what I mean. You must learn to read fast, or listen fast. I was
1: today. just going to say, or get an Audible account, or a Libby account, or whatever your given mm-hmm. audiobook system is, and put it on 1.5x speed, <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and learn and to and take voice notes.
0: That's it. It's it's so powerful that you can absorb so much information now. It's just, and it doesn't almost doesn't matter as long as you're not just fiction. You know, if you're doing biographies or if you're just reading about an area of life that you're interested in, about what's going on in the Ukraine war or, you know, what's happening with climate change. You know, there's a great book out there, you guys, called Unsettled, by the way, that I just finished, Um, written, Unsettled is written, I don't even remember the author's name, I just wasn't going to bring it up in the podcast, but since we're talking about reading Go read that. It's remarkable. It's been written. It was written by one of the top officials in the Obama administration for climate change. Hmm. And uh, NYU professor. Physics. Super, you know, knowledgeable scientist with great credentials who has written a book that the New York Times won't cover. They won't say a word about it because he is basically calling (laughs) out the whole scientific community on having produced good science And then fudged the abstracts over and over and over again in the interest of promoting the end result, which is highly, you know, uh, moral result of less pollution and, you know, taking better care of our planet. Um, But what he's pointing to is that the science, the abstracts don't say they stretch what the science proves. And then the New York Times takes the abstract and stretches it further. And so we end up with with crazy things like the storms are bigger and worse than ever, ever in history. And that's all climate change. And then he points out that there's no change in hurricanes at all in the last 120 years. Zero. And Hmm. and points to the research on hurricanes that says that and then shows that the abstract stretches it. And then what the New York Times does with the stretched abstract to conclude that hurricanes are worse now. And it's just fascinating. And if you're an investor, you read this kind of thing and it starts pulling the world together in ways that not everybody sees. For example, Berkshire Hathaway has a huge reinsurance arm and they've been reporting for years that there's no change in the policy. Uh, in the filings uh, for reinsurance, there's no change historically. They're they're not experiencing more losses.
1: There aren't more claims. Is that what there you're There aren't on? more
0: claims, okay. which there would be if there are these superstorms. And so you start to go, whoa! Here's the research that's been stretched, and here's Berkshire, which is paying real money if there's real claims. And it it kind of it's anyway, you do that as an investor. I don't want to make a, you know, like a a point here, but a point of view rather. But you're doing that as an investor looking for reality. And often what you find is there's a a disconnect between the market perception of reality and reality. And this disconnect is what Warren Buffett calls, uh, you know, the difference between fear and greed is hmm. that there's an emotional disconnect between reality and and the emotion of of what they think that reality is so let's say just for this example that there's a disconnect between the reality of major storms you know wreaking havoc on the planet and the actual fact of no real extra payments being made by insurance companies and I'm not saying this is all true well yeah just, let's just be clear that
1: statistics are, I mean, I think that's another really cool thing to learn. Let me don't
0: lose the point here. Hold on. Go ahead. Yeah. Let me don't lose the point because the point is not look at that specific disconnect and attack it. Okay. The point is there are disconnects where reality is, is different than what is being perceived as reality by the market. And this is, this was thought by academics to not be possible. Their assumption was that these people managing billions of dollars never have an emotional disconnect from reality, that the market always is connected to reality perfectly or nearly perfectly,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: therefore prices and, and values must be the same. When in fact, Buffett has been looking at this for 70 years and realizing that prices and values become disconnected from time to time because of greed or because of fear. So that's that's the the thing that makes this so fascinating in terms of being an investor for life, is that you start to read and you start to find that your opinion about something everyone fears may be very, very different
1: from Absolutely What, they what I keep finding is this um, experience of looking at statistics and discovering that I mean, every statistician knows this, every mathematician knows this, but most people who haven't studied those things don't know how easy it is to draw very different conclusions from the same statistics. And it's, it's something I feel like we consistently talk about and bring up on the podcast, like, you know, like, here's XYZ, and everybody's saying it's, you know, equaling like a super strong company, but we're looking at XYZ and we're saying that equals certain doom. So like, what yes, <laughs> what's yes. up with that? Um, and I think yes. uh, looking at that kind, uh, what am I, like looking behind the data, I think is what's really interesting. And it's what I have grown to love about the numbers. And yes, I'm saying I have grown to love the numbers oh, in companies. Goodness
0: because that's no I mean I don't really
1: like love the experience of it but what I (laughs) love is looking behind the data and the numbers are the data in a public company in any company about the public companies we're looking at um and so That's what I find so cool is like being able to go straight to the source, which is the annual report numbers instead of, whereas before what I, the only thing I knew was you read an article about a company and the reporter tells me what to think about it. But now I know how to go get the raw data and draw my own conclusions.
0: It's like if you don't know those sorts of things, you would read... Uh, you know the reporter is saying oh the ebitda is up 10% right.
1: compounded
0: and you go I mean, like oh wow the ebit is up 10% compounded that must be really great I mean really it's great. not
1: just that like how many companies have i bought or sold as a lawyer where we did you know we had the ebitda involved in the deal and we needed to make sure that right. they had to meet certain numbers in order to have a cliff of an eventual payment which by the way is never a good idea in a deal but that's another story and I was just like, great, the EBITDA. That's normal. That's what everybody uses. Awesome. That makes sense to me. Never thought guys, about it beyond that because I didn't have to. You know, it wasn't that wasn't my job to deal it, with yeah, the what, actual deal points. It's what but, experts are saying is good, right? Well, it's just what was used. Uh, it is it's used. still it's still what is used. It's used so it's, it's used
0: in court. It's amazing. And this yeah, is, by the well, way, and I mean again, like it was not.
1: It was not. It's not your lawyer's job to say like, don't use the EBITDA. That's, you know, that would be highly yeah, inappropriate. It's, it's but kind of what financial it's interesting to just know go. the background now from the other side in a way and um, and, and, and just start to, to think about clearer. like what's normal at, and, and you just sort of start to accept it because it's so common. Yeah, and the reason
0: we're using EBIT is because Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett think EBIT is a fabulous accounting term for... Hiding problems with the company and being used by scoundrels who don't want you to really know how badly they're doing, so they they play with numbers. And this is what Daniel's getting to is that this, this is just how you can do it. I mean, look at what's the deal with FTX. It, I mean this this is a crypto uh, exchange that just blew up and is now in bankruptcy. Um, yeah, it just occurred
1: to me like how far we are from the four buckets and we're like 10 minutes in, but yes, I haven't but forgotten we'll get everybody, it. but I this just want to just like, f- this is normal for us. If you're new to of our podcast, of experts, and I'm this is normal right the top for us you here
0: because <laughs> I want to keep going on this point. I know. And that I'm not stopping Experts you. are, are being sued now by so many people, experts, really personalities who were not expert at all but you you thought that well if Tom Brady thinks FTX is good it's got to be good cuz Tom Brady's a smart guy and a super quarterback and so oh,
1: okay. you know I'm
0: going to I'm going to buy into it because Tom Brady's in it. Okay. And you'd think these people would be doing research and you think they would know and the truth is they don't. So you can one of the main points of this podcast for the last 8 years has been that you will probably not do worse than any of the experts that you could have tell you what to do, if you do this on your own, that you're very unlikely if to you do less.
1: Learn and practice.
0: Yeah, almost if you throw darts. I mean, oh come on! <laughs> I'm no, I'm not exaggerating. You, I mean, they've shown this over and over again that monkeys picking stocks out of a barrel do as well or better than experts at picking stocks. Yeah, over a I long know. period of time. And, I mean, it's just, its the, in fact, it's the basis of, of efficient market theory. It is the very basis of that. So the, the truth is that you're the exception, you guys. If you're the exception to the rule, the rule is nobody beats the market. And that rule is there because of the way most people invest in the stock market. But if you are going to invest the way the very best investors do it, the way we're trying to show you guys over all these podcasts then i think you have very very good chance of doing very much better than anybody out there and who would manage your money for you so to the point of this podcast we're talking about four buckets one of well, we the ways suggested, I'm enjoying ah, i think this is good stuff one of the ways that one of the great experts that we really do admire actually doesn't invest the way we recommend and the way we do it or the way Buffett does it or Munger is is Ray Dalio. And we've talked about him many times in the podcast. And a long time ago, we talked about the four buckets, I think. But um, it's coming up more and more as the economy goes into these shocks from oil rising, Ukraine happening, inflation taking off, shocking the economy. Then I think this thing becomes much more important to think about. the four buckets, shall I go into it? You want, want to hear what they are?
1: Yes, please. Okay.
0: So this is an idea that will protect you for any economic conditions or any um, economic shocks. Um, Ray Ray is a, a phenomenal researcher. He runs Bridgewater, which is the, one of the largest hedge funds in the world, and has an 18% compounded rate of return for over 40 years, unbelievable, great track record as a macro investor, somebody that's looking at the whole picture and finding opportunities to invest globally. And he put together this portfolio idea um, to protect against any sort of economic calamity, any extremes that have happened any time in the last hundred years. Or even, he's gone back with his research 500 years deep. And so um, he came up with this concept of four buckets, Um, and and calls this portfolio an all-weather portfolio. So any kind of storms, this will have assets that really do well in any economic period, economic growth, economic decline, inflationary periods, deflationary periods. This thing is going to perform. It's going to have a bucket that performs extremely well. Now, the way Ray does this... This is his
1: all-weather portfolio. Yeah. Okay. Now, the way Ray does this... Go ahead. (laughs) Is... (laughs) the the four bucket cuz you didn't say this last time so the four buckets that you mentioned is that the same as ray dalio's all weather portfolio or do you yeah. then did you do your own tweaks yeah no it's the and, same as same as his because he hasn't talked about to my knowledge what exactly the all weather portfolio Consists of
0: well, he did in great detail. He's written it up actually in a paper, white paper that he did. Has years he? Ago. Yeah, it's worth looking oh, at. Okay, because I remember um, we were trying to figure out
1: years ago like what was in the all-weather almost. Well, that's portfolio. because the
0: white paper is so sophisticated; it's very difficult for an ordinary investor to duplicate what he can do as an institutional investor with billions uh-huh. of dollars.
1: Yeah,
0: um, particularly in the area of bonds. So let's let's get into this. Okay, the the four buckets are. Um, a bucket for inflation, along with economic growth. Which is. Is what we had. The second one is inflation, along with economic constriction, which is where we are. And then deflation um, with economic growth. Which is where we were for about thirty years, from the eighties all the way through, where bond our bonds and interest rates are going down. This is deflationary.
1: Hold on, I'm I'm one step behind. Okay, so okay. Second was it was inflation along with economic constriction. The third one is deflation along with what
0: or economic contraction. Sorry, wrong word. And then the fourth one is deflation. De, or wait a second. Inflation and economic growth, got that one? Yeah, yeah. And then inflation with economic contraction.
1: Contraction, got it.
0: Okay, then deflation with economic growth. Ah, okay. Right, and then deflation with economic contraction.
1: Ah, understood. So it's a quadrant. Right. It's a quadrant. So the four the four
0: uh, parts of this matrix or the quadrant are inflation, deflation on the top, and economic growth economic contraction on the side if you're building building the quadrant got it and so then the then the thing that Dalio did is kind of lay out in his white paper how to uh, how to get a, a very solid rate of return in every one of these buckets and and so the the most com most difficult one is where you have a lot of bonds um, And if you've got if you've got bonds, the problem with bonds is they give you a very low return typically. So Mm. in other words, if you've got a bucket that has, oh, you should be in bonds here. Those bonds are not going to produce a very good return. They're going to produce 1% to 3% return, let's say, in the past 10 years. And when that happens, your that bucket rate of return will go down. So Dalio had to solve that problem and have that bucket have high rates of return. And the way he did it it was leverage. He borrowed money at, uh, in other words, margined himself into bonds. And by doing so um, carefully, he could produce a much higher rate of return with a very low risk.
1: Hasn't he had the all-weather portfolio... Like out there publicly for some time now. Wasn't it doing really badly for a while? And that mm-hmm. was publicly reported on. Like I keep remembering seeing headlines about how. Yeah, it's oh, a little oh, bit oh, like he's how not doing good, but how it's because does badly from time exactly. To time. But it's because yeah. that's the whole idea is that it won't necessarily outperform for long periods of time. But then when things go haywire, right? It'll be decent yeah is right. that the idea and that,
0: that's the thing is underperforming is relative right so if the s&p 500 is doing 15 percent a year which it did then a, a portfolio of four a four bucket uh portfolio is going to underperform that significantly um right because it's going to aim for being able to be very consistently good returns regardless of the weather um and so, yeah, of course, what the reporters do is find something to chew on for guys like Dalio and Buffett who are such iconic investors. They love to find a flaw or think of wow. they've got a flaw. Wow, I just
1: Googled it really quickly here, mm. and there's so much out there about this. <laughs> no doubt. Wow. So anybody <laughs> wants to spend a weekend learning about the all-weather portfolio, there is a lot to read.
0: It's interesting, you know, really how to how to figure this out. Um, I can I can throw some things out there, that, like one, w- but by the way, I am, I'm not a four bucket investor and neither is Buffett. So we're sort of putting this out there as just an interesting idea. Um, if you are, let's say you have a pretty sizable portfolio. Mm-hmm. Let's say you're very comfortable actually. And what you want to do is remain comfortable. Uh-huh over the over the course of your retirement. This kind of thinking is quite good for that. So okay. in other words, so if can you we talk about made, what
1: would go in each yeah. quadrant? Yeah. Okay. All right. So you got
0: an inflationary environment. Um, you've got you've got about five things that you can put in there. <clears throat> Essentially, that will that should do well in inflation. So real estate is one of them. And as a stock market investor, that would be a REIT in, investment. Um, you could do a REIT investment by buying REET, which is an ETF for REITs, for example. Um, so real estate, gold, over the long run, should keep up with inflation.
1: I have a question can, about the real estate one, though. Sure. As inflation goes up the fed has started raising interest rates that tends to be the usual response yeah. and that's what's happening now um wouldn't that put a damper on the real estate market because it interest rates have been so low for such a long time or is well, that yeah?
0: when well they'll put a damper on it when it starts to actually impact inflation in other words when it starts to become deflationary or stagflationary when it starts to have an impact yes then real estate's going to start to flatten or go south. And it may start doing that, right? I mean, in other words, we've had this inflationary environment for at least a year, and the Fed has now raised interest rates, and now we're starting to get to a place where maybe it's starting to come under control. So you're starting to see the the curve kind of roll over on the Mm -hmm. top, but Mm -hmm. REITs have continued to do okay so far. Okay, I mean, they're not at their heyday by any means. That was a couple years ago. Okay. And gold, you'll notice, hasn't done anything at all. It's flat. Commodities, Apple. on the other hand, commodities have taken off. Um, commodities, uh, ETF would be like DBC, would be one you could do. Um, and commodities are massively being impacted by inflation. This is everything from you know wheat to orange juice. Then energy, which could be called a commodity, but it's in its own separate category, Energy is going to be oil and gas, power, that sort of thing. Energy, of course, has Are we exploded. still on the inflation
1: yeah. list? Okay. Yeah.
0: So energy has exploded. And, um, and then finally, consumer staples. And consumer staples are things like um, Walmart, um, let's see, Pepsi, Coke, stuff like that.
1: Hmm. Okay. Like stuff that we still have to buy. Even right. when we are just trying to get by,
0: right? So it, this is I suppose fascinating, Coke is a you know,
1: question mark on that one.
0: That that <laughs> somebody asked Buffett if about this really about this particular bucket. Um, actually, that's not really the bucket. That that's the inflation part of the bucket. So let's let's consider um, inflation and economic contraction. Since that's where we're at, right? There's one more thing that you should be putting in here, and that's cash. Cash can be very important in economic contraction, with inflation. Interestingly enough, right? You'd think, uh, wait a second, cash is the wrong thing entirely because it's inflation is hurting the buying power of of cash. And it turns out that isn't really the case right now. The dollar is getting stronger around against world currencies. Um, And cash is also an asset. Sometimes we forget that. And it is really good when you're, particularly when you're looking for opportunities to invest the way we do in a time where fear starts to grow.
1: And I would say it depends which currency your cash is in.
0: Yeah, very much so. If you're in... Argentine pesos, maybe not so good.
1: If you're in the British pound, maybe not so good.
0: Maybe not so good. If you're in the Swiss franc, maybe so good. In the dollar, very good right
1: now. Yeah, the dollar has been very good.
0: Yeah. So that's sort of that bucket of of inflation with economic contraction. Um, Now, if this keeps rolling, we'll get to another bucket, which is going to be sort of stagflation sort of the next bucket that that we could roll over to and a lot of these are the count
1: under deflation
0: um yeah that would be deflation with economic uh economic contraction we can call that stagflation
1: yeah 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 got it yeah
0: and, uh, and with stagflation, you've still got a lot of the this. same things. Now, what you also might want to put some money into is short-term U.S. bonds. Because now those are starting to go up substantially. In other words, a short you can get a higher interest rate on a two-year U.S. Treasury bond than you can on a 10-year Treasury bond.
1: Are we in the deflation category we now? We are.
0: We're in, we're in sort of the deflation category economic contraction category. OK. So that bucket. So we had inflation, economic contraction where we are right now. Then we have where we're headed. If the Federal Reserve gets things under control is more deflation with economic contraction. They're going to throw us into a continued recession in order to get control of inflation. And in that period, again, these the, that's where you want pretty much all the same things we had um, but we want to maybe shift out of consumer staples over to healthcare a little bit, uh, or you can do both. But healthcare in the form of a of a uh, ETF like IYH, for example, would be a, a healthcare that owns a bunch of stocks like United Healthcare, Pfizer, Merck. Um, uh, it's what's so that? funny because
1: uh, we like never talk about ETFs. So. No, we never
0: do. But again, this um, is if you're
1: protecting. You're already, yeah, this is you're like mega diversification land, which yeah. is not our land usually. <laughs> our land.
0: But we we live in a world where, where what this podcast is about is helping you go from I'm not financially independent by any means to becoming financially independent to creating generational wealth. That's what this is about.
1: What yes. we're talking
0: about today. For me is, personally. Okay, You've already got exactly for you personally. This is for people who are, they already got it made. They just want to keep it made. They don't want to see their, their, the value of their portfolio decline uh, against inflation. They don't want to be wiped out by deflation, by recession. Yeah. Um, and they're not going to spend the time to buy individual companies. This is for you guys. Okay. We don't to really talk about it that much, but here, let's we'll talk about it for a couple of podcasts here.
1: Let's pause us here because my notes are a mess and I need to figure this out and then pick up next time with, um, God, I don't even know what category we're on deflation yeah, well, and economic growth. Maybe. I don't know. We'll start over. <laughs> we'll start over. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll review. All right, sounds good. We'll pick okay. this up and we'll talk to you next week about this some more. Thanks All right, everybody. Until then, time to go play. Bye.